Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I'm Margot Robbie, and I play Barbie. And I'm Ryan Gosling, and I play Ken. Max is now the exclusive streaming home of Barbie. So cool. And the Max with Ads plan is included with your Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. Log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. Don't miss Barbie, now streaming on Max. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. These terms and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I'm Margot Robbie, and I play Barbie. And I'm Ryan Gosling, and I play Ken. Max is now the exclusive streaming home of Barbie. So cool. And the Max with Ads plan is included with your Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. Log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. Don't miss Barbie, now streaming on Max. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. These terms and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of murder television. I'm Adam Todd Brown, your host, joining me as co-host this week. Katrina Davis. Yay. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Adam. Katrina, how's it going? Good. I know Especially... we had this conversation before the podcast started, but. No, no, no. I was about to say it's great considering how we both started this week. I'm surprisingly optimistic considering I woke up at 730. I was like, oh, I have to finish watching uh, those guys be super <laughs> chauvinistic whilst regaling about murder. Yeah, chauvinistic is one thing they are. There are, there are a lot of things. Descriptors you could attach to There's, these men. Whew, so many things happening. We are covering the 2012 documentary, The Act of Killing. And as I said on previous episodes, despite the title of this podcast, this isn't just us shitting on true crime and true crime documentaries. Granted, the genre is open to a whole lot of criticism that we will get to. But I've been kicking off this series, this new show, by covering some of the actually good true crime documentaries out there. Some of the classics. And I would argue this is one of them. It's Really, really good. Came out in 2012. It's made by a guy named Joshua Oppenheimer, but with Werner Herzog and Errol Morris on board as executive producers. Those are big names. I was about to say, there's some heavy hitters on here. Yeah. Errol Morris did, was his documentary called The Thin Blue Line also, or was it The Thin Red Line? Yeah, The Thin Blue Line is Errol Morris's documentary. That must be where the police get it from. <laughs> you think it went that direction? <laughs> maybe i don't know the police try to stallone him and be like actually that was they would have never watched that documentary <laughs> no no police would hate that documentary so funny. yeah i'm sure yeah and also werner herzog that guy he made grizzly man so there's nothing else oh my gosh yes which well. i did remember but also reading about the thin blue line there's a case of a young man that this is happening to again right now no, come on. If it has anything to do with the law where like if you're involved with a crime and a policeman is killed, then you're charged with the murder just because you incited the incident. There's like a black man that they're trying to get his case basically revisited for that reason because the cop was killed by friendly fire and he's the one doing the time for it. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah. Sounds like our justice system, though. <laughs> I'm excited to watch this and get mad, though. This documentary, though, is not yeah. about our justice system. Yeah. It is about a thing that happened in Indonesia in 1965, sort of. And again, it's called The Act of Killing. Won lots of awards, was nominated for an Oscar. There's a sequel that was nominated for an Oscar called The Act of Looking, I think. <sighs> I want to see that now. And when 
Joshua Oppenheimer actually won Best Documentary at the 67th British Academy Film Awards. And when he accepted the award, he apparently said in his speech that the U.S. and U.K. both are complicit Mm. in these crimes that happened. And when you said this is about Indonesia, I immediately thought there's a lot of quotes that you could pull out and definitely apply (laughs) to other places. I was listening to just the justifications and just certain phrases that they say while explaining. I was just like, damn, this really does span the globe. (laughs) Yeah, it's frightening. Yeah, a thing like the genocide in question happened in 1965, but the people who did it are still in power Mm -hmm. and in a lot of cases still alive. And that's who we talk to in this documentary. They are the main participants. One thing this has gotten some criticism over, and I kind of agree, but more when it comes to the U.S. and U.K. involvement, because they touch on that at the beginning. Yes, At the beginning, there's words on the screen Mm -hmm. that just say in 1965, the Indonesian government was overthrown by the military and anyone who opposed that overthrow, they just labeled them communists and murdered them. Mm -hmm. And they end up killing something like 2.5 million people over the course of this action. And they did it with the help of Western governments. Mm -hmm. And that is the end of that in terms of the documentary. With it being two hours and 40 minutes, I was like, (laughs) okay, we're going to get into the U.S. involvement at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. We sure don't. They could (laughs) have, like, just being one main criticism is like, they could have cut out, like, two minutes of dry heaving and explained (laughs) something about And I also was wondering if they would ever speak to any more children of communists or just opposing survivors, but they really only speak to that one guy. And it's really painstaking to listen to him kind of tell a real account and then be like, okay, action. Like it's wild. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it more later, but not just that. He tells his account and they're like, "Mm." (laughs) We don't want oh, I know. But I kept like every time a scene would break, I would be like, OK, they're going to go to a family now. I yeah. was waiting for a scene to start that kind of had some kind of interview, but it never happened. And that's one of the criticisms this documentary got for okay. sure. Is well, that- I was wondering if they were just all dead or if they wouldn't. Like, I didn't know if it was an option. Well, that's the thing. I have this at the end of the notes, which makes sense for chronological reasons, but. If you watch the end credits, at least half of them just say anonymous. I was uh, yep. I noticed the same thing. It's like you get four names in before you hit an anonymous. Like one of the directors was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, there is an actual director on this who's just listed as anonymous because the, wild. because the people that did this are still in power and they're still mm-hmm. around. And you even see moments where they're kind of like vaguely threatening people for saying the wrong things. And it's like this is a military coup that happened in 1965 that was successful and never ended. Mm-hmm. So now the military just runs this is just the place. them in a coup. Right. You're just living in a coup. So the two main people, I quit keeping track of all the names, but the two main people that they focus on are Mm. Anwar Congo, who was an executioner under this regime in 1965, and Herman Cotto, who is a gangster and a paramilitary leader. And quite the character. They're both. They both are for Herman. I guess I mean from like an artistic perspective. Oh, no. Yeah, they're like the Laurel and Hardy of genocidists. <laughs> they're Abbott and Kilstello. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah, they're an odd couple for sure. Oh, my and it, gosh. And I think that's really effective because it mm-hmm. makes a lot of this documentary. I feel like at first you kind of feel the way they do where, yeah, all this bad stuff happened, but this is going to be fun watching these two whack-a-moles recreate their crimes. And it Mm -hmm. all, like, it seems like it's going to be really silly and almost kind of lighthearted. And then about two-thirds of the way through, you remember we're talking about a genocide here. 
I mean, I never fully felt settled. Like even in the intro, when they're in the village getting these people to be in the movie, I was immediately like, how afraid are these people though? Like you're having a regular day. And then these people that you fully know are murderers come in and are like, we're shooting a movie, come be in it. It's like, how willing to the even when in the beginning when they have trouble and onwards like let's go back to where i am because everyone is afraid of me and it'll work better basically i guess yeah i was already kind of like what is going on and i think that the dissonance i was having is because like you said they won so you're watching these gangsters go around and brag about murder and recreate it and have these people who aren't actors just freely give their time and dedication to their vision that is sometimes skewed in favor of people that have murdered their family members. And you're like, what is happening? But then you're like, oh, they won. Like they're allowed to do. There's no one around. Like the closest you get to anyone that has shoes on going against them at all is the people behind the scenes in the newsroom. Yeah. Speaking like candidly at all about what they've done. You know what I mean? And even that I was like, do those people know they're being filmed right now? Do they know they're going to be in this movie criticizing Mm -hmm. these people the way they are? Because Mm -hmm. I think that brings up some ethical concerns. And I think the other kind of concerning thing about this to me is we should mention, we keep talking about these reenactments. Mm-hmm. And basically the premise of this documentary is they go to these people who committed this atrocity and invite them to recreate it on film in whatever way they see fit. And that part gets wacky. There's like mm-hmm. song and dance numbers and really bad acting. At one point, Anwar Congo's wearing a pink cowboy hat. It's like you weren't wearing that when you did this. I was kind of looking at watching these men from so many different perspectives at the same time in how they were choosing to recreate their own history, where not only are we going to clearly skew it in our favor and they kind of talk about the propaganda that they were shown growing up and how that basically created the code that they live by and feel justified by and then them taking in Western culture and being like, I grew up watching this. So I want to be like, like the idea that you would be going around murdering people just for disagreeing with you politically because you think dictatorships are better, but also being like, I'm John Wayne. Like they're putting yeah. all of these machismo kind of examples of morality and what they think is right together but I feel like they never address their fear at all. Nobody ever says like, I did this because I would have gotten killed if I didn't. Like no one ever kind of acknowledges like a go along to get along. Every chance they get, they double down on being right almost. And I think that would be easier to do if this party wasn't still in power. Mm -hmm. Like if we were talking the Nazis, then it's really easy to be like, yeah, I just went along with it because it's what they said. Well, the Nazis don't rule Germany anymore. So you can say that. But in Indonesia, the people who did it, if they hear you say that, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, even that one guy who, while we're switching back and forth between these reenactments of what they want their murder slash heroism, depending on who you ask to look like and the real time political dinners and rallies and all of the things that they're still doing with, like you said, the successful group, <laughs> this paramilitaristic, what would you call them? Yeah. They're <laughs> um, a paramilitary. Yeah. Group right. The people that they're meeting with. Pancasila. Okay. So when you're watching them kind of toggle between shooting the scenes for their film and what they're still participating in, but then you do hear that one guy say, well, all of those people are there because they're paid. Like they've been living in four decades of such a corrupt system that even a gangster who they're actively afraid of comes around and is like, hey, vote for me. And they're like, yeah, but where's the money? Yeah. Yeah. Everything is just so deeply polluted (laughs) yeah 
that even the rallies of the powerful people would be empty if they didn't pay them. And it's like, what is going on? And one of the things you were talking about that first scene where they go out Mm -hmm. and start trying to recruit Mm -hmm. actors to appear in these reenactments, that was one of the first spots where I had kind of uneasy feelings about the premise of this, because on the one hand, yeah, you're letting these gangsters and thugs it's kind of a give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves situation where you're just kind of giving them free reign to recreate it and you know it's going to make them look bad but they're also involving the people they victimized yes that's just going to kick those memories right back up oh my gosh which we see later basically yeah Yeah, they film a scene at one point and at the end of that scene the people that live in that village look like they've just been terrorized by this military regime all over again because they kind of have been. Like you said, they're asking them to relive something with such a staunch ignorance to the actual impact that they don't think that this is a big deal. Like, hey, remember when we burned your village when you were four? Now that you're 40, we're making a movie on it and we want you to be in it. Yeah, That's insane to ask anyone to do. And you see people from both sides because Herman's daughter is in it and can't stop crying. And he's trying to talk to her like she's a child actor. Right. And is like, stop crying. Actors only cry for a little bit. And it's like, she's not acting. She's a scared eight-year-old girl right now. Like she was never acting. I don't know. Like she was next to you in a beret in the intro. She may or may not be thinking about how you did this to people. And he's just like, the scene's over. Stop crying. You're embarrassing me. And it's like, how emotionally barren could you be like i can't understand and to want to involve your child in that Mm -hmm. and to be proud of having done that and wanting to be like uh look at what dad did because even anwar does it too with his grandsons and like doesn't understand one of them immediately kind of looks upset like how you would look upset if you were just like i don't want to see anyone that i love even if i know it's fake be hurt or have someone hit like I wouldn't want to watch even if I knew it was a movie necessarily like my dad or you know what I mean be hurt and like he's so proud and wants to see them and they leave I don't know 60 seconds into the scene and he goes back to watching it by himself but you can see these men being so proud and being like look at this and people around them are hurt and do not want to like witness this or be traumatized by it again or for the first time. And they're like actively removing themselves from these situations when they can. Yeah. Anwar, I think, is the only one. He really goes on a journey. Yep. And there's a scene early on that sets it up really well, where he's taking the filmmakers to this area where they used to torture and execute people. And he's talking about it and he's just kind of like gloating a little bit. And then he's like, you know, and eventually we killed so many people. There was too much blood. So we had Mm -hmm. to figure out a more efficient means Mm -hmm. to kill people without blood. And he shows the method he used, which was just choke them with wire. And then he talks about how, like, of course, he's troubled by what he did. But he goes, I try to forget all this with good music, dancing, a little alcohol. A little marijuana. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was him kind of going through his life. Like he was like, I've just been drinking and partying this whole time. But then he starts dancing. Yup. That is such a wild scene and it goes on for so long. And the guy who he's with is just like, he's a happy guy. And it's like, and that does kind of, I think, like you said, appropriately set the uneasy tone of how you for the next nearly three hours will watch people recount horrendous things, talk out of both sides of their mouth. I've never seen, I think, a movie more where or a documentary more where people admit and then backtrack in the same paragraph. So aggressively speaking out of both sides of their mouths on some of these topics and like their past doings. And early on, there are so many scenes of them dancing juxtaposed with them talking about the most brutal shit. Yeah, when they're at the bars and like, yeah. And they don't give us, again, enough historical context to know 
if this is completely accurate, but it seems like at least in the case of these two, they kind of wanted to overthrow the communists because the communists wouldn't let them watch Western movies. Like they describe these people as cinema gangsters and like movie theater gangsters. And it seems like the movie industry was somehow deeply tied to what happened here. Yes, because even when you said The Wire, The Wire keeps coming up. They talk about how one of the current leaders of the paramilitary group or not the youth organizer, another guy. Oh, you look like Al Pacino. They spend money on all of this Western movie memory. But there is something they are emulating in our culture when it comes to violence. And they are obsessed with the word gangster Yes, And say multiple times the origin of the word that is, in fact, incorrect. Yeah, they keep saying someone just tell them that that's not what this word like they say upwards of four to five times that the word gangster they say on their national television that the word gangster means free man. So they are seeing themselves as fighting against communists that would, I guess, keep them down somehow but i don't know how because then later another not the same person not anwar because anwar is the one that's like obsessed with movies the most i feel like in his actual dealings with how he murdered people and all them being like we always had wire around i saw it in gangster movies and all that yeah one of the other executioners later says well, we snub out protesters because dictatorship is better. Like life was better under dictatorship. That was one of the things that I kind of stuck with me more where it was like, were they going to keep you from watching movies or did you just like the way things were? And you grew up in a culture where if you speak out against the president, it's our duty to kind of snuff that out immediately. I was really confused because he says that that movie that they watch and that traumatizes kids and stuff. He said, I watched that when I was little. And he was like, that's what helped me justify what I was doing was I watched that movie. Yeah. As Americans, I think we tend to believe that people just instinctively recoil upon hearing dictatorship and especially like military dictatorship. But there's another example, which is Brazil. Mm -hmm. There's a documentary we covered on Conspiracy, the show called The Edge of Democracy. Mm -hmm. And it's about how Brazil's democracy is like 35, 40 years old because they were a military dictatorship and eventually they became a democracy. And there are people to this day in Brazil, like a huge portion of the Brazilian population who are like, you know, it would just be better if we'd go back to a military dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is it'll be like kids and teens and young people. And you're like, how do you know you live through it? And they're like, grandpa told me. Right. Way better. And it's like, no, it wasn't Mm. like grandpa probably just benefited from that military. Right. And that's who you're listening to say that is this man who later literally says, well, we're the winners. So we get to decide what the history is. And I'm a winner. So I think that's one of the reasons why the lack of historical context in this documentary is kind of okay, because as much as anything, this is sort of an examination of what happens when people are just like not ever told they can't do anything Mm -hmm. like this regime took over through violence, Mm -hmm. murdered millions of people like Mm -hmm. They put up Nazi numbers Mm -hmm. in terms of how many people they murdered. They brag about how their movie would be worse than a Nazi movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then time and again, you hear them say, but nothing happened. No one came for us. Like, so it couldn't have been that bad. If I'm so bad, then why am I not in jail is basically what a lot of them say. And I mean, they don't have a point, but they have a point. Mm hmm. In that what were we expecting the leadership of this country to do after slaughtering when nothing happened? No one swooped in and said, hey, you're rapists and murderers and we're not going to tolerate it as the Western civilizations you worship pop culturally that give you money like, hey, Al Pacino's country 
does not condone what you did on a very base level. Like as egotistical as some of these men sound, that seems like one of the things that they only might care about would be like Al Pacino does not condone what you did. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't really care about anything else. Like, <laughs> yeah, we have to have Brad Pitt do some propaganda video. Yeah, Like Let's they're come. still sexually harassing caddies openly. They don't care. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about that. Woo! There's this- just as people like even what you're saying about not having the context. I also agree that not having context allows you to just see them as unchecked humans. I felt like at certain times it was like no one has ever told these men anything that they did is unacceptable. They barely can do it to each other even to be like what we did was wrong. Yeah. What's striking to me is that that's so wild where a lot of times with a regime like this they'll at least try to sugarcoat what they do or at least try to pretend that okay all that talk about corruption that's just the western media making us look bad we're just here to eliminate communism and take care of people these motherfuckers are shaking down chinese vendors at a real time on camera like up up to them and being like yep need money they go back to one man three or four times he has to keep pulling more and more money out of his cash register which is in fact a cardboard box and And they just keep asking for money and (laughs) i found myself being like dude cough it up because i didn't know how much patience they had before they were just going to take all of his money you know what i mean like Yeah. And I think that's a really not good moment in the documentary, but it's a really powerful moment because Mm -hmm. it speaks to that mentality that you must get when, again, they keep saying it. Nothing happened. We killed (laughs) 2.5 million people and no one did shit. You're stealing from their ancestors right now. Like you're still living and eating and making you're living off of fear and they do brag about it. There are some of the nicest houses that you see in this documentary are from men that are like, yeah, these people are afraid of me. Yeah. At, w- at one point, Herman tries to run for office. The entire reason he wants to run for office is because he's already crunched the numbers on how much money he can make shaking people down and threatening to tear their business down and knowing nothing is camera. wrong with it. Yeah, on camera, he's like, nothing even has to be wrong with it. Why would I not run for office? I can make $100,000 in a block. And it's yeah. just like, I can't imagine that being just the, like you said, the open way that everything is the only way it's been since I was an adult. And I feel like they also justify it by just watching Goodfellas every week. It's like they've never watched the end of a Martin Scorsese movie. They are constantly living in the middle. And it you can see it trickles down to society in general when he's talking about that election. That's when he brings up what you mentioned earlier, where he's like, if you see a rally with a bunch of people there, they were all paid uh, votes for you. It's because you paid them more than the other paid you. And which I did like that too. his voiceover of like everyone here is basically like, fuck this in their head and everyone's smiling and dancing and they're singing. And yeah. And so this group, Pancasila Youth. Okay. They call them that. But Mm -hmm. Pancasila is just this big paramilitary group. They wear orange. Yes. And there are three million of them. That's a lot. Whoa. A whole lot of people. And at one point, their leader, who is somehow the biggest sleazeball in all of this, he's the guy. Disgusting. Yes. 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 He is. There's every turn. There's no way he's not a sex criminal. Oh, absolutely. He's bad times. And. At one point, he's given this speech and he goes, they say Pancasila is a gangster group. If that's true, I'm the biggest gangster of all. And everyone just cheers. Yeah, it's like, that's it. That's the speech. That's what everyone's saying about you already, sir. Well, The other, which I feel like he might have been higher up than him, but he was also a youth leader later on. He basically is like, well, this scene makes us look bad. Like, we're not this barbaric. We don't want to look like this. And then immediately says, but don't take it out. Like, just leave it in there so people know 
Well, that's what'll happen if you mess with us. How is that not as barbaric as you are and also absolutely what you're capable of? Like, what are you talking about? What, what I really loved about that scene is, yeah, in that scene, it's a group of Pancasila members and they're just chanting about murdering communists, eating them, drinking their blood. It's like really violent and scary. And then there's just this one dude in the middle looking a little skeptical while it's all happening. And when it cuts, he talks directly to Joshua Oppenheimer and is like, listen, I'm talking to you as a member of Pancasila right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't make us look this savage mm-hmm. on camera. It's going to be a bad look. But then in like the same breath, he goes, yes, communists must be exterminated. Oh, my goodness. But, yes, he does say that. And then what I love is he says something about how you have to do it like ethically and humanely. And they immediately cut to another Pancasila member who goes pretty much any pretty communist woman I came across, I'd rape her before I killed her. Oh, just like and they have such fun talking about they they just start again. That's another like good old time. All of the women that we've assaulted especially if they're underage and then everyone kind of goes, Oh, like don't even get me started on assaulting underage girls. How much time you got? Like they could not have more to say about being very excited about being rapists. And that is why we both feel so comfortable. Like I would really want to be careful assuming things of people, but this man is a leader of people who to men and women brag about, assaulting communists until they die so (laughs) and in that way it really is such a great snapshot or documentary of Mm -hmm. what happens when a regime like this is never brought to task this is like you're saying four decades of unchecked yeah doing whatever you want and again having all that extra justification of propaganda and the mental backflips that people do to decide like the one guy that says well i've never had a bad dream i've never felt bad i've never felt guilt (laughs) and i was just like okay but but that's the guy when they first start making the movie who is the most vocal about like we were bad if we show this correctly we are going to look bad yeah and what i think is also really interesting is it's not just that they got away with it Mm. it's how long they've gotten away with it Mm -hmm. because i guarantee you if we were talking about someone who was the head of a regime that just pulled off a genocide say three years ago Mm -hmm. if that man was in it because let's be honest it'd be a fucking dude who did it if he was interviewed on tv later like around that time that's still so fresh and new that he's gonna assume someone's coming right some point for that so at that point in history he's probably gonna be like well yeah i mean oh it was brutal but Mm -hmm. you know we had to do it and then as time goes on and no one comes and gets you Eventually, you end up like these dudes in Indonesia who are like, yeah, fucking rape. Isn't it great? Mm-hmm. Like most people would never say that kind of thing on camera under any circumstances, unless you're like a gamer or something. But like he feels insanely comfortable recounting yes. the sexual assault of what sounds like multiple young women probably hundreds i mean it's awful it is and it's in that way i can one excuse the lack of historical context like is the historical context supposed to justify what they did i know why. well they're giving it kind of yeah a little bit and it's (laughs) like they're fucking fascist Mm -hmm. and fascist murder people so in that way, I can forgive the lack of historical context. And there was also I read some criticism about them having taken advantage of these documentary subjects and like making them look worse than they maybe would have. And it's like these motherfuckers murdered 2.5 million people. What? Like, and it's they, like, they I feel like silly. they show them being 100% themselves and they yeah. still show them like being with their family. And you know what I mean? You see them being what I think they would consider good men or being themselves or being with, you know what I mean? 
out of the context of shooting the shit with their old murder buddies. Like you kind of see them in different ways that I think humanize them a lot more than it could have. Yeah. And I feel like there's early on, we do see a couple examples of people who kind of push back against the idea that this was all a good thing. Mm -hmm. In one of the early reenactments, there's that guy that Anwar brings to the set. Yes. Who has since left the country, it seems. He was involved. Yes. In all of this. And they ask about that propaganda movie. Mm -hmm. There's this propaganda movie that we briefly mentioned already. Kids in school were made to watch it every year. And it seems like they maybe still are. Mm -hmm. And Anwar says, well, that movie is the reason I don't feel bad about anything I did. Exactly. And his friend is like, yeah, I don't know about that. Right. And he says, basically, you know, it's easy for us to make a convincing case that the communists are bad because we killed them all. Any that are left aren't going to say anything like we control the entire narrative. Exactly. And then he lays down this sweet analogy about how even a turtle can climb a tall tree if it's fallen. And they cut away for a moment. And then you see that they think they're just talking to themselves. And Anwar Mm -hmm. is like, don't talk about that movie like that to outsiders. Uh Uh-huh. And even then you get the sense that like if you criticize these people in the wrong way you'll still get fucking murdered well yeah because that's the one guy that when this started i was like okay he's gonna be the one to kind of initiate some kind of re-examination of this but like you said they start having those scenes that's like his first day on set when they're in that makeup chair for way too long and he by the end is like put me in the hague i'll be famous Yeah. So I don't know how much of that is him being back there and kind of just being like, whatever, I'm going back to the headspace that I have to be in to walk around and be a dude that killed my ex-girlfriend's dad. Yeah. Which is another thing that they're like cruising around with the top down in the sun talking about how they had to murder all of these Chinese people that were either adjacent to them or family or whatever and being like well whatever they were a communist so I had to do what I had to do and like laughing but then I also wonder if that's just like laughing specifically because the man who tells that harrowing story about his stepfather being murdered is laughing the whole time is that out of fear because he's like you know this is just for the movie like I don't want to disrespect it but like it's so messed up I'm not a cultural expert in Uh this area by any means but I will say in some Asian cultures they do tend to laugh and smile when they are horribly horribly sad You can see a great example of it. One of my favorite documentaries in all the world. It's called Alpha Go. And it's about this game called Go. That's like the oldest board game of all time. And for the longest time, humanity was convinced that no computer could ever beat a human at Go. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't just require moves. It requires human instinct. Mm -hmm. And we weren't thinking about AI when they said that. Yeah. So... Eventually, this AI program comes along and it's just dominating people at Mm -hmm. Go, which no one ever thought would happen. Go is an especially huge game in South Korea. And there's this scene where this man faces off against this computer. And the first time he loses, everyone like claps and starts smiling. And it's because they're like, oh, my God, no. Like, they're so sad. Uh-huh. Like, that's just like the cultural reaction right. moment. And I did wonder if like that was what was happening. Indonesia. Yeah, I mean, we're yes. talking about Indonesia and I'm talking about South Korea, but right. So no guarantee. It's the yeah. same thing. But I did kind of wonder if that was it, because, yeah, he was chuckling it up, talking about his stepfather being hauled away in the middle of the night and then found in like an oil drum underneath or something like a cut up oil drum. They basically like put him under the two halves of an oil drum. And he's like talking about because he's like, I was 11 or 12. I remember it well. Like you can tell that he knows that they will at any time 
try to take away from this story. Like he is peppering in things where they won't be able to discount it. Like I'm old enough to remember this. I carried his body. Like there are things that he's putting in where like whether he means to or not, he's like, you will not be able to deny this murder and your involvement in it. And they're like, nah, we're not going to put that in the movie. The way that they scrunch up their faces is literally <laughs> like you're in a writer's room. And you're like, mm, you could put that in for now, but we'll replace it. Like, Yeah. And they can't like, I mean, I guess they could do something to him, but he's not a communist. Right. They were he's, like, did any he's of you in the movie? Yeah. They like, were like, any of you got any stories about communists you knew? And he's like, yeah, my, I got one. Yeah, one. Here goes. The one that raised me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Bad times. And what the fuck was with that scene of the guy brushing his teeth? Why? That's Adam. Thank you so much for bringing that up because I forgot about it. I didn't know if it was supposed to be like mildly homoerotic. I was going to say it looks like like artistically. I'm not joking because he's choking himself. It's just like dripping down. And then I was like, does everyone brush their teeth this way? I had so many questions. He's not standing over a sink. He's not. No, and that's why I didn't know if it was in a bathroom that was all tiled. You can't see enough in the shot to see if like he's underneath a drain and he's just in like an open shower room. Yeah. I had so many questions about how this man brushed his teeth. Yeah. Was that Herman Cotto? That was Herman. Yes. And that's another thing about humanizing them that I feel like I don't know if it has a place, but it exists because we are human. So I want to acknowledge that like outside of realizing how horrible these people are and all of, like I said, the mental backflips that they're doing to just like justify what they do on a daily basis. You also see like Herman being a beautiful woman in yeah. multiple scenes like he's literally gorgeous onwards calling him ugly and fat at every turn he says he's not an artist like he's a bad friend yeah. like it doesn't like super need to be addressed but i would just like to address that like you're also watching these people be like he that is someone like who else would herman be friends with yeah he is a murderer who extorts people for money still. Still. He gets paid to be at these functions or like support this paramilitaristic regime still. And the only person that's like alive still in all of these old pictures is like body shaming him and being <laughs> rude to him at every turn, like not even letting him be the best in this movie of their lives. <laughs> and yeah. And There's like this whole other like B story of just like their friendship and Herman just constantly being there for Onward, like you said, is the only person that does also go through any kind of like, I don't know, journey of the human condition. But oh. Herman like giving him water and like when he kind of gets into that one scene too much where he actually has to have the thing that he's been bragging about doing for three hours simulated on him and then swears that he knows exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Oh, but well, like Herman is like trying it. to be there for him and make sure he's okay. And it's like, he's such a selfish, I, insensitive, mean person at certain times that it makes me even more mad. It's like, not only are you a murderer, you're a bad friend. Yeah. He's just <laughs> backwards, but He's a shitty friend, but there is a moment where he shows some appreciation for Herman. You were talking about how Herman is dressed as a woman yes. through a lot of this. Yes, and, and never addressed, which that's what I thought the toothbrush scene was going to go into. But then it doesn't. Honestly, looks way better as a woman. He's I'm not joking. Looks great. Yeah. <laughs> beast of a man that's why i was mad when he was like you're ugly it was like he's literally the opposite of ugly like what <laughs> one of herman's scenes where he's dressed as a woman is a scene where he's torturing a guy and he cuts his yes. dick off and starts like pushing it against it's so face. oh some of that i really could not look all the way at and i'm not that person to get like super <laughs> grossed out by practical but it's almost because it was like not horrible. I feel like if it was le if it was more fake, I probably would have been able to look at it. It's like in between where it's like good, bad, practical. And I was like, I can't look at this much fake flesh. Like, yeah, I just it, I ate yogurt. I, I can't do that. It might not be human, but it's a penis. Of it's something. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was like, what <laughs> is this? It's something. And I can't look at it. 
But the thing about that scene later on, he and Anwar are watching it and Anwar is like, I want this to be the beginning scene. Of yes. The and Herman's like, uh, you're supposed to be dead by this point. I love so that he's talking about the logistics. We can't make this scene first. And Anwar just goes, it's fine. The scene takes place in a time tunnel. No flashback. <laughs> and Herman's just like, yeah. Oh, my God. So funny to watch them do all of that. The only other better actor in the movie is the man who's drawing from his real life account of his stepfather yeah. being murdered in his scene. That's the only other better actor. <laughs> yeah, we talked. And I about, would argue that that's method. We mentioned it already a little bit, but there is a scene where they go on what seems like public television and they're talking about again, having murdered millions of communists mm -hmm. because these are, they call them theater gangsters who are making a movie. Right. That's how like they're, they're basically on this show being like, hey, you know those gangsters you know from all that murder? They're making a movie. And she's asking them questions like, so you exterminated all of the communists? Tell us about how you did that. So we, I really thought she was going to ask about the movie. Did not ask about the movie. <laughs> No, because they were too busy bragging about having murdered all those people. But then they pan out and they're preaching to themselves because yes. the entire audience is... <laughs> Pancasila. Yes, the children. <laughs> so the recreations, those make up a big part of this documentary, especially as it gets deeper and deeper into it. Yes. And the recreations get more and more intense mm -hmm. as it goes on. They do this one that takes place at a village where they kind of go from one room torture scenes and like interrogations and like a one woman house scenes of like one woman having like her child murdered to a full village. Right. And at one point, this is, I think, where the tone of the documentary starts to change. Anwar is watching this recreation that he put together that is depicting a thing that he is so very proud of. And he watches it happen and he's like marveling at how bad it looks. Mm -hmm. He's like, I can't believe how bad this like this makes me look bad. I was yelling at my TV at this point. And because like a, it's like you heard a guy tell you and you all ignored him. It's like none of that landed until this moment. <laughs> yeah. Having to see it replayed in front you know of what? him. I had to watch a whole village burn again to realize that that probably had some negative effects on people. Yeah. And there's this part where he goes, this was so very, very, very. And then he just looks off into the distance and doesn't say anything. Yep. Else. And I was Those waiting for him smoking. to find a word too. Yep. Because at one point he says like their children, like what chance did they have? Like they didn't have. And I was like, the guy told you he didn't get to go to school. Yeah. You literally did a scene with a grown man and watched snot run out of his face because you took his education away. But this reenactment for some reason hit harder which yeah that was it was very interesting but i guess that's also just the way the human mind puts things when it has to function like we kind of go back and forth between these shots just constantly watching anwar sleep which yeah. i think is supposed to be the whole how do you sleep at night thing and him talking about his nightmares and that and it is weird because there are some moments where that cut to him sleeping and like playing with wind up baby duck toys Yes, he loves ducks. But then even, did you also catch that when there's a scene? Also, sorry for everyone. It feels like we're jumping all over the place. It's kind of all over the place. I mean, You're kind of just like watching people have gnarly ass conversations in between like yeah. Personal things, political parties, family moments. Yeah, I mean, it jumps all over the place because they kind of give the subjects free reign. Like, it's obviously edited, but the subjects kind of dictate where this goes. Right. So, like, there's a scene with his grandchildren where he's injured one of their ducks that either they're pet ducks. I don't know what they're raising them for, but Anwar and his family have these ducks. One of them is hurt, and one of his grandsons is still kind of, like, being rough with it and stuff. 
I did like this order because, and also if they did this order, congrats to them. I thought that a lot of this at this point was Oppenheimer because they kind of cut from a scene about them talking about apologies or atonement or what it looks like to feel bad to him trying to basically teach his grandson about apologizing. Right. And he's like, say that it was an accident, say that it was an accident. And the little boy says, I'm sorry, I hit you. I got mad. Yes. So I was like, oh, he got mad and hurt an animal and he's trying to apologize. And he keeps trying to make him say, say it was an accident. And I was like, but it wasn't an accident. The little boy knows what he did. He got mad and took it out on an animal. And you're already trying to rewrite it. Right. To where it's an accident in everyone's head. And like you're doing a tiny version of what you have to do every day. Yeah. And that point where the interrogation scenes kind of turn. Because at first, again, like pink cowboy hats, their song and dance numbers. And you're like, oh, this is going to be silly. The first one after the village burning, which is that's where the part where they're involving the victims of this. That's where everyone, the most people cry. A woman faints. A A woman woman, like loses consciousness. They look like they have relived what happened to them. And they basically Mm -hmm. just did. Yeah. And it's like the people at one point, a little girl goes up to Anwar and asks him, why are you walking around? And he lifts a stick up like he thinks it's funny and she runs away. It's like these men are like if there was a real life Santa Claus, but like the real one, like Krampus, like if Krampus was real and then came to your town and was like, we're shooting a Christmas movie. And you were like, but that's Krampus. Like he kills little kids and he was just in your village, like pretending to scare little kids. Like she screams and runs away. It's so weird to watch. The next one that really caught my attention There's a scene where they're doing an interrogation and I believe it's Anwar who gets under the table and chokes this guy with a wire. And they show that for so long. Well, they show it for a long time and they keep the camera on Anwar's face the whole time. Yes. And it kind of looks like he maybe jizzed a little. Adam, I legit played it back specifically (laughs) for that reason, because I was like, what is happening right now? He was definitely having a response. Something is happening. Relived that moment. And it doesn't look like he's super duper broken up about it. Like, it looks like he's back in that moment because you can't. I don't care how conflicted he pretends to be. Hmm. You can't be that conflicted about murder and be as nonchalant about it as he is. Like, Well, he says it about it, the guy calling prayer. Remember when the guy's calling yeah. prayer and he's like, oh, that guy's a communist. And he's like, well, if I would have ever got a hold of him, he'd be dead. But he's not. So whatever. And it's like, what? Because also, what's that guy's life like? That yeah. he's a com or someone that he at least knows other people think that he's a communist. And I don't know how big Indonesia is in terms of like running into people. Like, I know there's a lot of people there. There's three million of the youth group. But that's terrifying to know that the guy that murdered millions of people that either agreed with communism or just didn't agree with not communism, whichever one it was. Just didn't give him the money he asked for. Whatever let you, yeah, fall into that funnel and you have to call prayer every day and just like live in this community where, like you said, they're still in charge. Yeah. And speaking of terrifying, the end of this documentary is great. And it's great because the reenactments really start hitting Anwar pretty hard because there's this one where he's playing the interrogator Mm -hmm. and Herman Cotto is playing a dad who's holding his baby, but the baby is a teddy bear with one eye. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a teddy bear, what happens to that teddy bear really drives home what kind of shit Anwar Congo was getting up to. Mm -hmm. It does speak volumes what that scene feels like, knowing that I'm just watching a teddy bear. Like, I know it's just a teddy bear. And at the beginning, that is another scene to speak to what you were saying in the beginning, where when it starts, you're like, okay, Herman's great at crying like an upset woman. Like, he's giving it all. Like, he's really doing a great job. But it's still a teddy bear. Like, when it starts, you're still like, okay, he's holding a teddy bear. And by the end, I am upset. Like, it couldn't have been anything more realistic. It had to be something that, yeah. 
he gets so into stabbing that teddy bear. And it's like, if you even went 50% of the way when you did this in real life, you should be thrown off a fucking bridge without a goddamn. You definitely shouldn't have like nice suits and cologne and like get to fat shame your friends. Like you definitely shouldn't be going around doing stuff like that. If you, like you said, if any of, and like you said, how could it not? You wouldn't just make all of this up. I feel like we're speaking to certain versions of this in what's happening in comedy and media in America. It's like, there are certain things that it's like, I really don't understand why that would be a hundred percent made up. This truly does not make sense. In what world is this like what little kids do when you're like, what? And they're like, Oh, I made it up. And it's like, how did you make that up? That is the scene that precedes him laying in bed, playing with those toy ducks. Like they cut. And that's when I was like, are ducks his thing? Is this a Sopranos reference? What are we doing? But then (laughs) the next reenactment is him getting tortured. He plays the leader Mm -hmm. of the communist party who they eventually executed. And they try to play it off. Like he just got makeup in his eye or something. But Anwar is fucking crying when this is happening. Like he is shook by what's happening clearly. And it it's almost kind of satisfying to watch. Oh, it 100 percent is. It's like he's depicted. He showed us in this documentary himself. Like you said, they're super into strangulation. They love a good wire. He's done this to like three people in the past hour on screen. And the second anything happens to him, he cannot hang. No pun intended. (laughs) Yeah, by the end of it, he is exactly where he deserves to be, which is in a bad place. Yeah. And it's not exactly where he deserves to be because it's a bad place that's made up. Right. Like he created the real one for hundreds or thousands of people. Like at one point in the newsroom, they're like, how many people did did they say he killed? And they're like, oh, at least a thousand like him himself. And somehow this is the scene he brings his grandkids in to watch. Yes. The scene of him being tortured. And they're like, what the fuck, grandpa? Yes. They don't make it long into it. They just get up and leave. One of them was asleep. Like he woke up a child for this. Which again, there are so many different moments of ego and just like the utmost of what you would imagine the kind of men that would support a dictatorship because they themselves see themselves as little dictators. Like golf course guy who hits on like there, the girl takes a picture with him. She leaves earshot. It takes him, I don't know, maybe three seconds for him to call her a whore. Yeah, just because she bleaches her hair at every turn that they could be the epitome of what if you wrote a character like this, they would be like, OK, turn it down. You, yeah, it's a little over the nobody top. Nobody is this dude. Right. Everyone is that dude almost in this movie. Like every other dude is that dude in this documentary. One of the things I appreciate about this movie is that the documentarian doesn't really insert himself into what's happening, which Mm -mm. I think is a sign of a good documentary. But there is one moment where he does. And it's after Anwar has excused his grandkids from watching this video. And he goes, did the people I tortured feel the way I did? there and he's like trying to have this fucking reckoning watching these rusty wheels turn and joshua oppenheimer jumps in and goes actually the people you tortured felt way worse because you knew it was a movie which made me honestly i feel like i was losing my mind so much at that point that i wonder if he could not help himself because I cannot imagine having to be with them for however long it took to get all of this footage. Right. And having to watch him slightly come to that. And he shows so many signs of intense narcissism where like he cannot not make it about himself because he's like, no, no, no. I do know now. I do know now, Josh. Yeah. And he starts crying and it seems legit. And I cannot. It sets the kind of the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. which I talked earlier about that scene in the beginning where he goes to where they tortured and executed people. It's like this open tiled room. Like it's uh, like so creepy. Balcony of an office building or something. Yes. 
And that scene ends with him like dancing and like talking about how, hey, it's fine. I just drink a bunch and I don't yeah. remember none of and it. And that one shot during the day and then right. this next one at night. Yeah. And this time they bring him back after he's gone through that torture scene and watched this village scene. And he starts talking about what they did again. And this time he does not start dancing. He starts vomiting or he dry heaves it's kind i was about to say not to be a stickler but it's kind of like when people (laughs) cry but there's no tears yeah i'm glad but also i will say he looked like he was going to be sick at another point during the scene with him and herman that he wants to put at the beginning when he's when he's supposed to be dead oh yeah he almost dry heaves during that too and i couldn't tell if it was just because stuff was gross or because he was getting upset yeah or is he just like dehydrated because he's in Indonesia and it's hot as shit? Yes. And so that's kind of where it ends. Yep. That's the closest you get to any kind of acknowledgement on their end is his physical reaction to yeah. the past, to memories that made him like borderline salsa in the beginning. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is the justice the that you get is slaughtered him, in this genocide him get. getting it, a bellyache <laughs> yeah anwar dry heaving in the place where he murdered yeah. so many people yeah and old boy goes back to wherever he was after he goes to the mall and like plays on an elliptical it's like i don't feel guilty at all put me in the hague i'll be famous and then he just yeah. goes back to wherever yeah the best thing is that herman did not win office and that was only because he didn't have enough money yeah he just didn't pay enough people off Oh, the only thing that I was also frustrated by the text in the beginning, they kind of allude to this is the footage from the film that we allowed them to make and the effects of what that did. And I guess maybe the effect could be Anwar acknowledging any kind of pain on the part of a communist, but I thought it was going to be someone seeing it like it kind of hitting a news source that wasn't in Indonesia, like if it was going to have any of that, but maybe that's in the next documentary. I'll watch the next one. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, we should cover the next one, which was also nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, this was, I had never seen this despite it being super famous and I am very into things like this. I had never seen it. I was floored by hearing again like you said things that we know that people do in you know genocide and concentration camps and things that we hear people say real time now passionately like with the hate being like red hot but to hear people just matter of factly feel justified in murdering someone sheerly because they had a different idea from you and watching them real time reap the benefits of that watching them have crystals go to auctions buy things from american culture being like look i have all of the michaels they have like michael jackson memorabilia at one point like all of the resulting life was so infuriating and almost there were times like he brings up you know bush and different he's like the geneva convention will have a different idea of justice like in the next 10 years like a a lot of things that like you said earlier they're not right but they're right that just make you kind of like upset and want to throw your hands up about things i definitely went on a journey with this documentary it's really good but it's just like infuriating and kind of like jaw dropping at some points and yeah and it's a good example of what happens when a government or a regime decides that one particular group of people are like subhuman mm-hmm. because you can't talk about the communists the way they talk about them yeah. in this documentary still to this day after having firmly defeated them, you know, more than 40, 50 years ago. That is such a slippery slope. Once any side starts treating any one group like they're not people Mm -hmm. and that they are worthy of being slaughtered, Mm -hmm. this is where it ends. If those people go unchecked, this is where it ends. And And they stay, I feel like they have to stay that hungry. Well, I was just going to say, it's a good reminder why, you know, I'm sorry, but no, 
the fascists and the other side cannot talk. There can be no meeting of the minds when it comes to right wingers who want to fucking murder people and who think that some people are less human than other people. We can't talk about it. I don't care if it's becoming the other side of the political spectrum in this country. There's no fucking room for it. This is how it ends. Well, because they to maintain that, I feel like that's what we saw on the new show part of the documentary was a lot of people kind of trying to have their updated version of what they did. I feel like Anwar and them kind of try to dance around and stuff. And then the guy in the Jeep is like, yeah, and we'll kill all their kids, too. Yep. For them to have stayed in power this long, they have to keep that top of mind because why would those shopkeepers electively just take a shakedown every week or every month or how often they come by to to rob them? Yeah. If that danger wasn't still that present and real. Right. So it's like that becomes a part of it. It's like a necessity of things functioning that way is that kind of fear and ignorance and hate and keeping that mentality. They say that's the other guy who won't fully come out and say it. He says, like, we must never forget, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's gnarly. This was good, though. Like, good for good for yelling about. (laughs) I definitely recommend this. You can. Watch it for free on something called Freevee, but there's... It's on, I watched it on Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu? Yeah. No. It was on a couple things, though. Like you said, even visually, there are things that happen. I feel like it's arranged well. I still kind of know what want to know if that fake blood was berries because the monkeys come back and eat it. What is that? What is that? Yeah, that was strange. It was good. Like, and even you saying that they edited it. I don't know how much they edited, edited it. There's certain things that I just only because it's so long. I was like, we don't need to watch him dry heat for this long, but that's just me being petty. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good documentary and I would recommend it. Yeah. And I think we made it to the end of the episode. Katrina, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me as always. Of course. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Oh, hello, everyone. If you (laughs) liked listening to me talk, and would like to maybe listen to me tell jokes that aren't about communist genocide. (laughs) I have no communist genocide jokes. Um, You can follow me at Katrina Savad, which is just Davis backwards, S-I-V-A-D, on everything that people are on socially and digitally. Um, And I have shows on my website if you're in L.A. or will be in New York uh, at the end of May. Very nice. You can follow me at adamtodbrown.substack.com. I write there. So if you like podcasts that you can listen to with your watching ears, a.k.a. your eyes, <laughs> uh, go check that out. And that's it for right now. Yeah, I don't know when this is coming out. Who knows? Oh, it's fine. Wish- I like watching well, ears. In whatever I'm doing right now, just wish me well, people. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Katrina, say goodbye. Yay, bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I'm Margot Robbie, and I play Barbie. And I'm Ryan Gosling, and I play Ken. Max is now the exclusive streaming home of Barbie. So cool. And the Max with Ads plan is included with your Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. Log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. Don't miss Barbie, now streaming on Max. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. These terms and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP.